seconds flat. Give me up. This is the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. He's been broken three times. He refuses to give in. He might do it. Look at that guy. Look at Black Zero. Oh, my God. Hello again, friends. Welcome to Mile 110 of the Seconds Flat Running Podcast. Travis here, and I have two learned doctors of sports science oh, with you, me. Travis. Yes. <laughs> so what better way to spend an evening? My friend Phil, you are back. Phil spent the entire pre-show gloating about his half marathon PR. So we'll be Rightfully so. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll a be bit. sure to talk about that a little bit. And we welcome in Christina. Christina, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is a pleasure. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself yeah. so that uh, the audience can get to know the right. second of our physical therapists on board? Yeah. So. Like he said, I'm a physical therapist uh, working primarily with runners, but active individuals all over Greenville. I'm located at Zone Physical Therapy in Greenville here. I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. Mm-hmm. So Florida, born and raised, never thought I'd leave the state, and here I am. Yes, and welcome. It's, Thank it's you. good to have you in Greenville. One of your areas of interest and expertise is plyometrics for runners. Yes. So... We're going to dive into that in a little bit as our main topic. But before we do that, we have plenty of training. We got shoes to get into, some initial impressions of two shoes from our training last week that Phil and I will get into. Race recaps. Yeah, we got race recaps. And we first want to announce an exciting event with our friends at Do South Coffee. Christina, you're going to be there. I am going to be Christina there. Christina is going to yep. be at Due South's Hampton Station location on Saturday, March 26th at 8 a.m. You scheduled your... this for a weekend. I'm going to be there. Right well, hold on. I feel like that was Can I continue to say that Christina will be there for all your PT questions oh, and needs? Okay. That's, because yeah. Phil is giving like a keynote address at some sort of conference. There I think it's go. the UN or PETA or some, something like that. Some equivalent. Yeah. Some annual convocation. Uh, so otherwise, the whole gang will be there. We hope you can join. It is the Useful and Good Hill event, Do South Coffee tagline, Useful and Good, yes. right? We will also have our girl Aubrey from Mizuno will be in town. She will have demo pairs of their super shoe, the Wave Rebellion, for you to try. Nice. Uh, we'll get in a group hill session, so I have multiple options planned using the famous Cosmos Crit Hill. Nice. Cosmo should be there. That's the early word. He is getting in shape. He's back out there. So the real question is, you're going to have the numbers. Oh, excuse me. The numbers at uh, Cripple Creek. You threw me, Phil. That's actually you're not supposed to. That's illegal. We're not even supposed to talk talk about that. Okay. The illegal gambling operation across the street from (laughs) from due south. Uh, they don't sponsor the show. No, they don't, but I would let them yes. if they wanted to. They would probably forcefully insist. So we're going to do a warm-up. We have multiple hill options, so you can individualize, tailor to your training and level of fitness. We will gather af- afterward for friendship and discounts on coffees and treats from Do South. 
thanks to my guy Ryan. And so if you have a hilly spring race like Boston or locally, Reedy River 10K, this is a perfect fit in your training. You could even work it in maybe as part of a long run in your Boston prep. That's true. Get some hill work in yeah. a little long run. Yeah, it could be. That's a loop. It should, it's a great loop. It should be a ton of fun. 8 a.m. Saturday, March 26th. We'll continue to talk about it here on the show. But as always, you can check out at Do South Coffee on the Instagram for more details. Where is your conference again, Phil? Where are you Down in Charleston. Charleston. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's our state meeting. Yes. So. What are you speaking on? Pain and orthopedic injury. Oh, that sounds compelling. It'll be uh, fascinating. <laughs> I'll tell you this. If you're not at the Hill event, you might as well listen to Phil talk about pain. <laughs> Phil, let's kick it off with our past week of training. You want to take the lead here and talk about yeah. So we're going to do past kind week. of the past. So let's do Thursday to Wednesday. Ooh, if I can remember that, does that yeah. sound all right for you? Okay, that sounds good. So as you know, my rule: it's still Thursday. It's only seven thirty p.m. There's a good chance I could triple. That's true. At some you point today, so run in. So this. we can't do today. Yeah. So last Thursday through Wednesday. So last Thursday was an easy 40 minutes yeah. um, with a few strides. Friday, it's Friday, you know where I am. So I'm in Paris Mountain. You are on Paris Mountain. Uh, Christina, have you made a trip up Paris Mountain yet? I have. It's my dog's favorite place to go hiking. Oh, oh okay. Yes. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So <laughs> Phil loves to ascend uh, Altamont from oh. the, I guess it would be the west side of Correct. the mountain. From the side. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yep. okay. 6.30 yeah. there at uh, Poinsett Park every Friday morning. So there um, you go. Take the dog out and all right. Right. do you a lap and, up the mountain. You and Phil can get after it. Okay, Phil. <laughs> uh, and then Saturday was, it was my birthday. So I had a nice celebration with some friends. Mm-hmm. You were out there. Um, I was. Good miles. For that. an easy hour. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. good. And then Saturday was, two hours was on the schedule. So I went up to uh, DuPont um, to get a nice little loop in. Uh, ended up cutting it short a Maybe five minutes because I got back to the car and was totally uninspired to go up and down a gravel road for five minutes. I was yeah. a little bit tired at that point. Where do you normally park when you go up there and start from? I like Fawn Lake. Yeah, uh, that's I got a, good a loop spot. that's uh, you know, two hours. You can extend it for two and a half or so and hit a bunch of the waterfalls. But then the best part is the swim in the lake afterwards. It was oh, a little yeah. too cold for that this past weekend. But that's that's my usual go to. And then Monday was an easy 30 minutes or so. Uh, got out with a friend of the show, Dean and Jim. Yep. Um, and then Tuesday was supposed to be an easy hour. Uh, I was a little lazy that morning, slept in a little bit. So that easy hour turned into 40 minutes at lunch on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Tell your coach. Well, I'll have to talk to him about that. Mm-hmm. And then yesterday was, it was a scary one. Uh, it was easy warm up. Uh, did 10 minutes or so, and then the workout called for 10 minutes to two miles uh, at half marathon pace. So I was a little afraid, so I did 10 minutes. Right on pace, though. And then 5 by K, working around 345 to 350, um, which I, we were talking earlier. I, I, I fouled off on this one. I didn't totally whiff, but I didn't quite hit my splits. Yeah. So there was a little bit of fear into it, a little bit windy out there. But it was a good workout. Um, it was tough. And that... Those Ks were about right around critical speed, so probably yep. 10K pace. So it was a good workout. And then today, uh, lifted weights a little bit, and that's it. All right, Christina, you want to share any of your running from the past week with us? 
I can't. You and the dog get out for some miles? (laughs) (laughs) Nothing exciting. Uh, She's a border collie, so she has a lot of energy. So she gets gets at least a mile every day. But I have had a lot of life and moving right now. So I took some time off and I'm rebuilding back up. Um, So I'm only doing about like 15, 20 miles a week right now just to stay consistent while I work on a little more strength right now. So Okay, nice. Nothing exciting. Any uh, races planned in the near future for you as you get it going again? Like I said, I'm from Jacksonville, Florida. We just had the Gate River Run come yes, up recently. Yes, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, yeah. That's, my, that's my goal. Within a year, I want to be able to be out there and be under 70 for that. So okay, all right, there you go. Goal. So you are like 51 weeks away from, oh, yeah. from the target race. <laughs> okay. So for me, let's say last Thursday, I had a workout last Thursday. Uh, hills threshold, then more hills. So a uh, four by 40 second hill at 5k pace jogged to the track and it was supposed to be four by mile, but I'm going to be honest. I got lost in the morning announcements on the intercom coming oh. out from the school. Uh-huh. And I realized I was like 2,400 meters <laughs> into the first rep. So I just kept that going and did a two miler okay. at half marathon. And then did two by mile at 15k. It was originally four by mile, but I went two by mile or two mile, excuse me, then two by mile, and then went back to the hill, jogged back to the hill, and did four more 40 second hills faster. It was about 3k pace nice. on the end of that. So we have the summer of hills coming up again. I think there will be a summer of hills post, yeah, post grandmas. Okay. Uh, so July probably we'll get into the summer hills. That's a big that deal. Exciting. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's where stuff happens. Went back out that evening, little uh, shakeout on the turf, slow three miles, twenty four ish minutes, just jogging around. I had a girl kick a soccer ball at me three times. Oh, and that's, so she was probably trying to tell you something. I couldn't at first determine if this was anger or flirting. Uh, <laughs> you know what my instinct was so. yeah she moved to a different side of the field and then kicked one near me again this was the third time so i actually said something to yeah. her at that point uh jokingly of course she apologized to me she said she <laughs> felt bad i was like that's no big deal just kidding but i made a note of it here in, ah, my, nice. in my so she didn't notice you the first two in times. my running log yeah yeah Let's see. Went out the next morning, easy 8.9 miles at 7.43 pace. I did note that I found a large collection of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches on the side of the road, so oh. that was fun. Did you snack Probably on them? I'll keep that to myself. <laughs> <laughs> I like that that's the instinct for both of you. As you said, Saturday morning, it's out with you. 75 minutes easy for me with some strides on the turf. Came back Sunday, long, er, not really long, but long-ish, about an hour 40, 15.75 miles, so it's a 627 average. It was progressive for 15 miles. In my training at this point, I no longer use, like, schedule a long progressive run. I find that I I don't enjoy the thought of saying I'm putting 18 on the schedule and the last four are going to be hard. I just kind of let these flow if they happen, just knowing that I'm going to go out and do something steady. And I got uphill up near Furman, yeah. and I was feeling pretty good. So I cut it down to about 540-ish by mile 15. Okay, so and, what, you dropped it down to what, about your half marathon? Yeah, course? probably something in that range. It felt pretty under control. It was, it was a good run. 
Recovered easy the next morning on Monday, 7.1 miles at 7.50 pace. Went back out for a double on a loop that I have come to enjoy for my yeah. doubles. This is So this is also a move I'm doing on, on the post-hard session double when I go back out in the afternoon. I live on a half-mile-plus-long gradual hill on Main Street. I am turning left out the front door now so that I'm always climbing immediately on that uh, run so that I uh-huh. go out slow intentionally, that I don't get sucked into getting a little too quick down the hill oh, to start. Okay. So, so I'm going to disagree with you. I think going downhill is a better start because then you just kind of let it roll and can shuffle along and let gravity take you as you kind of loosen up and get that momentum going. Mm-hmm. But I, I, we've talked about this before, but there's it's important to start out slow and easy and kind of let the run come to you. Mm-hmm. versus starting at a set set goal pace. Yeah, so my intention with these these doubles is just to start recovering. Yeah. It's, that's all it is. It's recovery. I've got a nice little loop that I've worked into West Greenville over the oldest bridge in Greenville. Ooh, uh, nice. Nice view of downtown yeah. from there. It's, it's a romantic spot, Phil. Maybe you and your wife could... Uh, Maybe we should have run there one day. Do, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> and so, let's see. We're on Tuesday now. 70 minutes easy with some turf strides. And then I uh, had a session again yesterday morning in a torrential downpour. That was something. That was that was a full on storm. Yeah, that was that was nasty. Six by four minutes at ten k effort. I put two minutes easy as the recovery because it was kind of ninety seconds. But at the road crossing on the trail, I hit it both times uh-huh. and had cars, and they ended up being two minutes or so. And then I did six by thirty second hill afterward. Did the same thing. Went uphill to the track at the high school. Trotted around in lane eight. For a little recovery, three and a half miles, well over eight minute pace, just waddling. And then in a misty rain this morning, it was kind of cold, cold. windy. Yeah. It was it was an interesting morning. Uh, eighty one word for it. Thank you. <laughs> eighty minutes at seven thirty seven pace for people keeping track of such indicators. We went through a training load episode uh-huh. a few weeks ago. Uh, if this matters to you, Phil, it does. I did check heart rate yesterday on both the session and the recovery in the afternoon. The highest heart rate on the six by four minutes at 10 K was 174 beats per minute, which I think is pretty honest. Yeah. Yeah. Recovery heart rates. As I waddled around in lane eight of the track, 122 beats per minute. So it was probably about where I wanted it. So there you go. Based on those weeks, we have initial impressions from shoes that we broke in. Yeah. Before we do that, Christina, what shoes are you running in right now? Uh, I'm a New Balance fan, so I'm yeah. typically in the New Balance 880s. Ooh, yes. Nice. Yeah, those are my favorite. Some neutral shoes. cushion. That's mm-hmm. your all-time favorite? Mm-hmm. All right. I used to be a big Ravenna girl, but yeah. they Brooks. changed it up a little yeah. bit, and so I've stuck with the 880s. Okay, great. Got some fresh foam in that 880 now, which yeah. I like a lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. fresh foam's sweet. Yep, yeah. that's good stuff. Uh, Phil, how about you give some initial impressions of your new Hoka Torrent yeah, V2? So two. This That's is right. the deuce. Yeah, yeah. I took okay. them out for their uh, maiden voyage on that long run on Saturday. And uh, it was a really solid shoe for DuPont. Yeah, I was coming to them as a, not a true replacement for the Hoka Speed Goats for, the trail, for a trail shoe. And wanting something that kind of slots into that, like, 30k maybe up to 50k race type shoe yeah so something with a little bit of cushion but that um can pick up the pace pretty well the traction on those things is fantastic um really solid grip you know for those that know dupont there's some 
some wet roots and rocks and that kind of thing. And it's really solid uh, with that. The ride to me was much like uh, a Rincon. Yeah. Um, for those fair. that have run in that. Uh, so it's soft, but not mushy. And, and light. Still, it is. It's really light. Um, it still has that Hoka four foot rocker. It is not nearly as pronounced as the speed goat. Mm-hmm. So there's, you still get a little bit of push through the calf and the Achilles. The fit is a little bit more accommodating than the Rincon is for me. I, I think my foot's special, you could yeah. say. Yeah. Um, but Hoka's traditionally, I'll get some like rubbing on the inside of just my right big toe. For example, Clifton's, those would be a hands down favorite shoe if I could take them past an hour, but because of the rubbing, like I just can't. Yeah. The the Rincon, same thing. Like it's getting a little bit of rubbing there, but the uh, the Torrent Twos were pretty comfortable. Um, I got a little bit of rubbing, but nothing that a little uh, squirrel nut butter would take care of. That boy. Um, no, so it, I think it would be a great racing shoe for thirty k up to fifty k. You know, it's not a plush all day shoe like the speed goat is where you're going out for hours and hours but i i could have turned around and gone another day the next day in that shoe without feeling too beat up so so the speed goat update is much anticipated much hype yeah. it's just now coming out so uh, probably at some point here down the road we'll talk more about that because that as well as ultra's mont blanc are probably two of the most anticipated trail shoes of the spring I have the first iteration of the Torrent, yeah. and I, I love that shoe. Is, uh, I mean, yeah. Love's a strong word, but I would give it very high marks. It's a solid marks. all-around yeah. trail Yeah, shoe. it actually, when I went out west, it was my hiking shoe yeah. at, at all the parks. Yes, it's it's fantastic. And reasonably priced, too. I mean, I know Hoka and a lot of these other companies are coming out with, like, trail super shoes. Mm-hmm. You know, in the high hundreds up to 200 plus dollars. You know, this isn't anywhere around that. So I think it's a good all-around uh, all-purpose shoe. I am going to give you a little taste of Nike's much-hyped yes. streak fly. I don't know if any shoe this year has uh, more marketing behind it, and so the Nike hype machine in full force on the streak fly. I did two sessions last week in the streak fly. The first was the Hills Threshold Hills, where I was largely on the track for most of that. Uh, the second was a road fartlek that I did yesterday, longer total volume there. First thing in the overview, this is the super shoe for the era before we had super shoes. Nice. That's how I would describe yeah. this. Yeah. Five to 10 years ago, I would have raced in this thing at almost any distance. Yep. Today, I think it struggles to find its niche in my racing rotation. Maybe a road mile, maybe up to 5K. They advertise it as a 5K, 10K shoe. For me, I don't know that I go either, especially at a 10K, because to me, Nike's own Vaporfly yeah. Next Percent is superior for those events. But uh, maybe you, uh, hey, Christina, maybe you get in the uh, Downville Mile coming up okay. in June, test the fitness with yeah. a road mile, <laughs> let it fun. rip all out, a little downhill here. Yeah. Yeah, that is the type of distance that this makes sense to me as a racer. If you like a lower to the ground feel, then a lot of the high stack super shoes, maybe 5K. So here's the good. It is ultra light in about six ounces and lower to the ground than your other super shoe options. So it has that more traditional racing flat feel. You have a a six millimeter heel to toe offset, 32 millimeters of stack at the heel. So it's certainly not minimalist. 
I will also add that makes it not track legal if you're looking for a track option, although I would say certainly for me, I don't know about Phil off his new PR and all the races <laughs> you want over the winter, but for me, I don't think they're checking what I wear on a track no. for a 5K, so it doesn't yeah. matter. I have, I have no, no business being on a track for a 5K, Phil, personally at least. Let's not say nobody cares, well, all right? <laughs> you have a daughter at home that loves you, and I have a mom at home who occasionally listens to no, this I know program. my daughter doesn't care. My mom does care. <laughs> okay, good. It's got a midfoot shank instead of a carbon fiber plate, so this is not a plated shoe. It doesn't have those propulsive qualities of the carbon fiber racers. Uh, but I do think the shank capitalizes well on your forward inertia while moving quickly without being overly noticeable under your foot. Interesting. Uh, the shoe still feels pretty soft with that ZoomX foam. Also, since they use the shank, you get a much more flexible shoe than any of the carbon stuff. So that allows you to move through a more natural range of motion uh, as compared to those other races, racers. And I think that's a positive consideration for long-term foot health. Nothing is a recipe for plantar fasciitis like wearing a carbon-plated shoe yeah. every day, right? So you, I would add then, you mentioned price point. That's another positive here as compared to those shoes. I d don't know that it necessarily compares really with a Vaporfly, an Alpha Fly, an RC Elite, an Endorphin Pro. But at 159 you're not paying like you would for right. the carbon-plated racer. And I can't think of anything that's both cheaper and faster than the Street Fly. In some ways, there's a little bit of like souped-up Skechers Razor or okay. souped-up uh, New Balance Rebel, which I, okay. I love. Yeah, um, that was a popular shoe last year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, disadvantages here, it is not the traditional snug mid and forefoot that you anticipate from a racing flat. I like having a wider toe box, but depending on your foot shape, you might toe the line of sliding around in this shoe a little bit, I found. So this is, so here's my question on this shoe versus like a, a next percent. Yeah. Is the next percent to me is obviously faster particularly on courses that are not that technical with a ton of turns. Yes. But thinking of like racing a 5K that has a lot of turns, I, where do you fall on this? I thought we would gain more here than yeah. we actually did. Okay. I do like that feel the ground element. Yeah. Um, some of the torque you can create, the feel the road experience. I think the uber light upper material on this makes it hard to lock the shoe down okay. as much as we might anticipate in the comparison that yeah. you made because that thought was in my mind i was using a track so i can give somewhat of a comparison there to what it might feel like on a track with a vapor fly yeah. i think you handle a little better but not as significantly as i had hoped okay then as i've mentioned before i believe the greatest benefit of the super shoes is not so much the plates but the foams yeah the ZoomX foam from Nike is so good. It is, it's top of the industry. There's no question. And it keeps you fresh over time, both within a session and over a series of sessions or races. And I'm just less beat up using those shoes, that high stack. Foam. I mean, I long run in a vapor uh, in an alpha fly. I've never raced in it, <laughs> but I do long runs in it because I come back the next day and feel great. Yeah. And that means we're stringing together more good sessions over time, that consistency, which 
that to me is the great value of these shoes. And I just didn't feel as fresh at the end of the longer session in the street flies as I felt after a similar session in a, let's say a vapor fly, yeah. an RC Elite, whatever it is. I warmed up in something else yesterday, switched to this, did the session in the cool down. So it's 10 plus miles. And uh, I just felt less, less fresh both at the end of the session and this morning than I might in the other shoe. So my final verdict here is primarily going to be a track sessions shoe for me. So so last question on this one. Where, yep, where does this come down? Because I know for both of us, the, the Peg Turbo mm-hmm. 1 and 2 is a really yeah. solid shoe. How does this compare? I think you're closer to Peg Turbo than you are to the other Nike racers. Okay. But you're even lighter weight. And yeah. so in some ways, it's like Peg Turbo meets Streak LT, okay. if we want to stay within the Nike line. Yeah. Of course, Peg Turbo is coming back in right. August with the next third edition. So we'll see what that's like right. now. They use ZoomX foam in a lot of their stuff now. Like the Invincible, of course, has it in a trainer, which I like, but it's so much meatier. If you have the ability to have a bunch of shoes in your quiver, this has a spot, but don't expect that you're getting this to be a marathon super shoe. It would have been eight years ago when I was running marathons in an A6 DS racer, but it was a different era. Yeah. Let's go to some race recap. We mentioned a couple. Let's start there. You brought up Gate River Run. Yeah. You've done it before, correct? I did it once just for fun kind of thing. I wasn't necessarily in shape for it, but I grew up there doing like the little 5K when I was younger. Yeah, nice. Watching the whole town get together. Um, I worked one specialty down there a little while, so I got to feel the whole buzz around it. Yeah, Um, it's an incredible community event. It is. It it is. One of the best in the country when it comes to a community racing experience. Yeah. Emily Sisson defended her U.S. 15K championship. Nico Montanez gets the win for the men's race. A few other highlights. One friend of the show, Eddie Garcia, who I saw at the track last night as I was walk jogging my recovery. (laughs) I said, hi. I think he looked at me like, what the heck are you doing? Are you really moving that slow? Uh, He set a new national 15K record for the U.S. Virgin Islands. He broke his own national record. So former guest on the show. We actually, small world, he and I actually went to high school together. Hey, yeah. look at this, old wow. friends. Yeah. Well, you guys he, go to prom together? No. no. Oh, that would have been a hell he of a story. A, yeah, he was a senior when I was a freshman, so. Oh, you kinda... thought he was this big guy on campus, right? <laughs> he was a really cool guy. He's, he's really nice. Yeah, he's yeah. super nice to everybody, so. Yeah. How about that? That's good. a small world. Yes, that is. That's good to hear. Galen Rupp made an appearance. Seventh place finish. Yeah. There is some footage. Local Jacksonville News always does some good coverage. You can see a little footage there. Uh, I think it's like Runners Plus or somebody had some coverage from the lead car that's always awful. <laughs> <laughs> but he was at the front of the race and then faded late. My assumption is this is just part of a build-up to Eugene World Championships yeah, for the marathon. That's World, that's, or world, Championship world champs in are in yeah. Eugene. And my assumption is he wants to try to go out with a bang with a medal there. Yeah. Sources tell me it was an especially humid morning in Jacksonville, which you can always get at this race. Last two times I've been there, though, we had pretty nice, cool conditions. Here's to my buddy Ian, assistant track and cross-country coach at Ohio University, the Bobcats. 
What's a bobcat sound like, Phil? Give me a little taste. Oh, I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, maybe? I don't know. That's close enough. I, don't, I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> um, he put in a good race, and based on the splits that I saw, it, I, there's no confirmation of this. I'll have to maybe look at some race photos. But I think Galen Rupp was hearing some footsteps. Ooh. Going up that big old bridge and then heading back down it toward the Gator Bowl, whatever Good they call him. Gator Bowl now. I don't know what it is. And the finish line. So it was uh, Ian's tune-up race for the New York City half. Excited to see what he does there. He's never raced at this longer distance, but he put in a pretty good one. He got out hot, but he hung on. Nice. So... Good performance. I was a DNS. That's a did not start for me. I was registered. Uh, But Phil, we've talked about this. Sometimes life happens and you have to create a balance of knowing what your big goals are. And about a week out, I first considered, should I not go? I said, I'm going to give myself 48 hours here to think this over and, and make a final call. I was happy with where the training was. I think I could have put up a decent race Yeah, yeah, a solid block leading up to it. Yeah, uh, but this was not the target. My three big targets for the year are still out there. I would like to get something soon just to kind of check in and see where I am. But ultimately, as we got towards the end of that 48 hours, I felt a little weight off my shoulders when I decided I probably wasn't going to do this with all the work I had going on and other things happening. And uh, this is to a point we've made here before. We don't always want to create a race target and build everything around it in our training. We train, we get fit, we get into good shape, and then perhaps we consider when it's best to race. Yeah. And that next morning after that race, I got up and put in a pretty nice progression, longer run, and felt really good and got something good out of it. And so I am going to go. <laughs> I'm not going to skip the next one. This is not a trend. I am going to Grandma's in June for the half. But it was the right move for the place I was in. Well, and I think that's good to to give some perspective because I know probably here in the store and I know in the clinic, we see so many folks that, you know, have a race that they're targeting that they're basically limping to the start line. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's possible to to do those events and kind of force your way through. And not that you had an injury, but just life gets in the way. Uh, But keeping the what's your running going to be like? In the next three months, what's it going to be like in a yeah. year? What's it going to be like 10 years from now? And that, you know, a race is a drop in the bucket and there's no, there's nothing wrong with missing something. Uh, and you have bigger priorities that, that take place. Keep perspective on what's important. Mm-hmm. Let's go to the Greenville half uh, since Phil was out there just crushing. Oh, it was a good day. PRs. I coached this guy for a week and he just nails a four minute PR. <laughs> I mean, jeez. You get all the credit for that. Holy one. smokes. <laughs> I, I wish I could bottle that. Winners are past guests on the show. Yeah, Tyler McCandless. Tyler McCandless coming from The Weatherman. (laughs) That's right. Don't get me off on that tangent. I spent a whole episode with that guy on weather. It was fantastic. It was a good episode. Came in from Boulder and just under one hour and three minutes, uh, like 62.55, I think, for Tyler. Winner, former guest, women's winner, Alyssa Bloomquist, former guest as well. Second place male, James Quattlebaum. Local boy. Yes. Friend of the team here. So... Yeah, but some good luck around the Greenville oh, Half associated with this program. Phil, why don't you break down for us a little bit about your race? Yeah, Talk so to me. it was a good day. Um, you know, the plan was, well, weather-wise was perfect. It was yeah. chilly, what, mid-40s or so? Yeah. A little overcast. Crisp. Yeah. There was some um, breeze. Yeah, so there was crisp going in. <laughs> um, you you, do you want me to yell out anything else about please. the weather conditions? <laughs> 
I had the dew point at 44. Okay. I just want to put that out there. Well, we can talk about your calculations and how that affects pace. Okay. Uh, that is important. My performance. It's critical. Yeah. So it was kind of the weather where it's like, eh, should I go long sleeve or just go in a singlet? End no. up going singlet. Yeah, you do choice. not. Yeah. yeah. You're a grown man. <laughs> you don't wear long sleeves in the 40s I, for I a race like when you're a grown man. Singlet, yes. Oh, I tell you what. Christina, have you seen Phil in half tights yet? I have not. Okay, it's well, that's, I have not. I can't wait. That's yeah. something that the people. Wow, that, that was that energy was high. Right. I mean, it sounds like a, sounds like it's something we all I, need to see. I think we need to pump the brakes. This is a married man, right. <laughs> that, but it is. My wife does not listen to this show. It's a true gem. No, she does not. A true gem of the upstate, getting to see Phil in his half tights. Oh, it's something. That run-in long sleeve, maybe your firm in winter calves. Right? Yeah, that's that's a real run right there. Okay, so anyways, we have race. gone off a cliff here, <laughs> Phil, and it, we were long overdue for it. So tell me about the race. No, so the plan was to go, uh, I was hoping to break 128. That was kind of my main goal. And really, this was a benchmark towards a half that's nine, ten weeks away now. Towards a marathon. Yeah, excuse me, towards yes. a marathon, yes. Um, so to kind of see where the fitness was and test things out. So goal pace was going to be... 640 maybe 630 or so i had a group of a couple friends we were all kind of going out together the first mile was right around 637 second mile was a little bit quicker at around 628 but at that point there was a group of maybe like eight of us um they were rolling along pretty well together we were also trying to get away from the guy that was explaining differential equations (laughs) going down the down the race course Oh, and all of us were kind of looking at each other. Is this guy for real? Is, yeah. Um, so I had no idea what the square root of X was, but he probably motivated me to run a little bit faster. Okay, that's good. No, so we had this solid group, and we kept clicking off like 627, 628s, like right, you know, consistent paces. Through about seven miles, that last mile kind of going by Furman was downhill. I think that mile was like 619, which... You uh, auto-lapping your watch or are you manually splitting on this? No, I auto-lapped it. That's a coaching moment right there. You know how I feel about that. Their mileage is what matters. It's a certified course. We've all been in races where you hear a bunch of watches Uh beeping like 100 meters before you get to a mile marker and they're all screaming, oh, the race course is long. Yeah, probably not. Your watch is not perfect. I'm going to tell you the three things that I'm excited about, the inevitabilities in my life that I can't wait for. Okay. I, I, I don't know why this just came up to <laughs> mind, but it, number one goes with this auto split. Number one, I can't wait till everyone realizes GPS is just a fad. This is a passing moment, Phil. Ah, We're all going back to atlases. There is... Paper? I hope so. Okay. This is a hot tape. It is. Uh, <laughs> Christina, you're unaware. I drove across the country... Okay for the Olympic trials last mm-hmm. summer. Never did I once use GPS. You go with an atlas. Oh. It is, it's the past and yeah. the future. It should be the present. We will soon enough realize. I, I'm not going to disagree. GPS I have a paper is a fact. US atlas it, in the, the back of my car. Phil, for that people reason. have no sense of place. It's Very disturbing true. to me. People have no idea where they are. The worst arguments I've had with my wife are over... Cartography. Turn right or left. <laughs> yes. Because she can't read the map thing on the phone. If I had a nickel for every divorce rooted in cartography, <laughs> I wouldn't have to do this program. I'd be so wealthy. <laughs> well, and I almost broke up with a previous girlfriend because she wanted me to stop into a gas station and ask for directions. Well, she and clearly didn't know she was it. riding with a man because <laughs> oh, <boy>. men are <laughs> we, apparently we can never ask for help. Uh, no, not at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. That's, Anyways, mile seven. Back to the race. Well, I've only given you one oh, of my okay. three inevitabilities. <laughs> Do we want to pause there? Do you want to wait for the others for a future episode? Number two, if I ever get married, 
Cosmo will be the wedding singer, and he will do an endless loop of Hall and Oates covers. That's going to happen, and I can't wait for it. Yes, he does. Rich Girl hopefully gets played three or four times. <laughs> three, if I don't get married, within the next few years, I will become a hermit on like a running retreat, cultish almost kind of compound. So Maybe in like, like the woods in Montana. Don't talk about the trophy club. We have a <laughs> oh, female <I'm> guest. <laughs> I'm going to have to cut that out. <laughs> All right. Back to mile seven. Mile seven. We're in mile seven. Okay. Of course. Uh, so it's, it's the downhill mile by Furman. Watch splits at 619, which was a little hot, but running, I've done repeats along that section. It's about 15 seconds different running uphill versus downhill, so I wasn't too concerned. Yep. A couple other friends looped into our group. They were out for a run and gave illegal assistance to oh, our friends that beat me. Some renegades. Yes. Uh, so they jumped in. We we're kind of helping pacing, but I know they're a little bit quicker than me, so I kind of let them go, mm-hmm. hoping that that would force the guys that I was racing against to crack yes. come back to me. You were running um, the differential equation on that's that. That's right. right? Yeah. Oh, I knew the math yeah. on that one. So let them go, but there was a group of two two others that we were all still kind of rolling at a comfortable pace and you know, just kind of let the race come. Um, and mile after mile, just clicked through and yeah. you know, really even split through like the rest of the race. So it was not the race I expected. I did not think I had that kind of fitness, but it was a good day. Yeah. So on a much more serious note, <laughs> I will add to this. This does show... The potential is there for yeah. your ultimate goal of a Boston qualifier within this cycle. Yeah. We haven't wanted to rush that, to force that. There's a chance, but we're going to just continue to try to do good work to get there. We'll see what happens at New River. Well, and I think to me, the, the things that I learned were you know, the importance of starting easy, which, of course, that's obvious, but it's yeah. different to execute. But also the importance of having a group in a race to roll with and mm-hmm. that you're not constantly kind of taking that inner sensor of, is this too fast? Do I need to speed up? Do I need to slow down? Like, where am I? It's more like, turn your mind off, just let it roll, just hang with who you're with. You know, make sure that you're not overcooking it, but that, you know, having other people there with you to to share the effort really makes a difference. Yeah, great. It's a good event, potentially, as you're looking at races for the future, Christina. If you're thinking about a half, yeah, it's a lot of good competition Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. It's typically good weather, fast, as you've heard Mm -hmm. with the winning times. Mm -hmm. A couple other race recaps before we go into the plyometrics. Sound Running had the 10, 10K event. What a race. Phil, you're going to tell your daughter, Millie Grace, someday about... There was a time when a man named Galen Rupp had American records. Yes. And he was the greatest we knew in his generation. And because they're 200 all, meters behind yes, in this race. They are all quickly being taken away yes. by Grant Fisher. Let's add another to the list. So at Sound Running, in the 10,000 meters, Grant Fisher goes 26.33 for a new American record that's 11 seconds faster than what Galen Rupp had run. Mohamed, teammate at Bowerman Track Club, in second, about a second behind. Fisher actually had to hunt him down in the last 200. This played out differently than the indoor 5,000 at BU, where the record was set a few weeks ago. Ahmed gets a Canadian record, and for good measure, let's pop an Australian record as well. Jack Rayner in third breaks Pat Tiernan's Australian 10K record. Pat Tiernan was in the race and finished a little further back, 14th place. So Rayner, who's more of a marathoner, that's mm-hmm. where his future is. He is the new Australian 10,000 meter record holder. You know how I love the Aussies. <laughs> you know that. So three new national records in the 10,000. And then the Tokyo Marathon, Elliot Kipchoge wins again in 202.40. His fourth leg on the way to completing a clean sweep of the World Marathon Majors career. Mm-hmm. World Marathon Majors. Only Boston and New York remain unconquered. 
Also, I believe we had 20, 2-0, 20 Japanese men under 210 at That's Tokyo. Incredible. I struggle to count that high, yeah. but I believe I counted 20 you should as have a scroll calculus lesson that I did. Yes, you I know. There. Run the equation. Well, the, ta- the takeaway for me from Tokyo is that we're getting that much closer to sub-2 in an actual event. That That's... A great point, Phil, because then I'll actually care about sub two. Right. It actually will mean something <laughs> to me because right now it doesn't. Yeah. So yes. And I think Kipchoge has recognized this point in multiple interviews. It shows the human potential to achieve that yeah. is there. Now let's do it under real racing conditions. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. Christina. All right. Plyometrics. Yeah. That's why you're here, kid. That's why I'm here. Let's do it. <laughs> uh, so let's open it up. If you could just define what this word means, because yeah. to some people, this is almost feels like a buzzword of the right. last decade of mm-hmm. fitness. Yeah. And, and then explain how running itself is inherently a plyometric activity. Yeah. So plyometrics, basic definition, it's a rapid lengthening of the muscle followed by a rapid shortening of the muscle. It's basically going to be what happens every time your foot hits the ground on your stride. So at its core, running is a single leg, plyometric, repetitive sport. When we get really efficient with our plyometrics, we can actually increase our running economy as well. Yeah. So that's where we kind of play a role into our training. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So talk about like what the, the different physical properties we, we train with the plyos mm-hmm. and kind of what physical adapt- adaptations are we trying to, to elicit out of these? Yeah. So that lengthening and shortening I was talking about is our stretch, short, stretch shortening cycle, mm-hmm. right? So when we have an eccentric contraction, we're lengthening the muscle. And then when we have a concentric contraction, we're shortening the muscle. Somewhere in there, there's a change of direction going from shortening, from lengthening to shortening, right? So that's called the amortization phase. That's what we really care about, that change of direction. Um, we want that to be as short and as small as possible. And that's where we're really going really to see our most running economy come out of that. So there's a few adaptations we're going to see. The first one we're looking for is tissue stiffness, right? We know our muscles are really good at shortening and lengthening. That's just kind of what they do. But the tendons that connect the muscles to the bone, those guys don't like to move quite so much. They're not very compliant. So when we have a tensile force from the muscle contracting, that's going to have a recoil. Mm -hmm. And that's free energy right there. So the stiffer our tendons are, the more free energy we have. It's just free energy sitting on the table waiting to be taken advantage of. So most of our muscle actions come from oxygen or nutrients in our blood. And that's all. We have limited resources for that. That takes time. But this tissue stiffness is just sitting there. Sitting there waiting to be used if we can develop this appropriately for our runners. So Let's get into the various types of plyometric activities that are going to improve this for us. Yeah. Maybe if you could start with three to five examples Mm -hmm. of plyometric activities that you find most effective for runners, Mm -hmm. and then explaining, I know we don't have the camera here, so we will try to describe what those look like in practice, how the listener can apply and incorporate what the technique looks like. Mm -hmm to develop this tissue stiffness that Mm -hmm. you're talking about. Yeah. So first off, double versus single leg. Yeah. We have to make that decision. There's a couple different schools of thought, but I myself like to put my runners in double leg plyometric activities. Okay. When we go into single leg activities, there's a lot extra room for compensations. Uh, You have to work a lot harder to control where you're at. 
So let me interrupt for a second. Yeah. Then. Is that something that you would work your yes. athletes towards? So you're going to yes. start Eventually. them more with double leg mm-hmm. stuff when it's mastered. Yeah. We might move more towards right. single leg yeah. jumps. Bounce. It's the same as when you're doing your workouts. You have speed days and you have long run days. There's no reason for you to do 400s for 10 miles. Oh, unless you're Quentin Cassidy. I think we, I think he, it was like 60 by 400 right, yeah. in the sunsets. <laughs> and, yeah. Oh, yeah. A beautiful scene. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say it. You already called me out on a hot take earlier about GPS or maybe, was that it? Cartography. Cartography. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. That's the most overrated part of that book. That's like an iconic scene. And I think it's so overrated because then every kid reads it and thinks I'm going to go out and hear yeah. 60 by 400. And guess what else you're going to do, kid? Ruin your season. <laughs> yes, that sells books. I'm sorry. What it's have okay. I done? It's Here we good. go. So we're starting with and trying to master double leg right. motions. Yeah. So, so let's have, yeah. explain some of those for us. Yeah, yeah. so we don't have to wor- worry about all the compensations. We can work on just being really efficient with our plyometrics. Yeah. So I would start with pogos. Okay. So nice. pogo, I would. it's going to look like you're going down into a quarter squat, and then you're going to jump up as high as you can. But what you're going to do with that, too, I want your toes going to the ceiling with that right mm, i feel like i might hurt myself doing this <laughs> I mean, you probably will not as springy as i once was yeah. but i on a serious note here yeah as an aside this is something that i have incorporated a little bit but in considering doing more mm-hmm. and so this is part of why i'm enthused about your descriptions take that piece you just described within the pogo of toes pointed toward the sky yes. and break that down just a little bit more what that's going to look like because I don't want this to become the, like, toes are coming up over my head. Right. right? Yeah, let's be, yeah, let me be more specific yes, about Yes, perfect. Toes to your shins. Yes, right? there it is. Okay. Yeah, that's a little bit better. And that's actually another thing that we're working on. It's one of your other adaptations you're going to see with plyometrics, not toes to your shins, but it's a component of it. Mm-hmm. So one thing we can work on is creating pretension in our muscles. So we know that eccentric muscle contractions have a lot more force production than concentric yeah but that only works if it's applied over a long period of time which is not what running looks like nothing in running should really be over a long period of time it should all be very quick so one way we combat that is we create free tension in our muscles so i'm sure you've had coaches or you've read somewhere that when you're doing your running drills your toes should be to your shins you don't really know why it's just what you do because that's what you've always been told to do this is why. So when you keep your toes to your shins, you're lengthening your calf for a longer period of time. So by the time you actually hit the ground, it's been under that load for a longer period of time. It makes this a little more efficient. So okay. that's what I'm going with that. Yeah. Yeah. Super. Yeah. So there's pogos. Pogos. Right? Yeah. What's number two? Yeah. So I like depth jumps, yes. but I would start with yeah. a couple things before that. Yeah. So first I would clear that you're comfortable and able to do a depth drop. What okay. that's going to look like. You're going to be on a box. I'd probably start about 12 inches, maybe even lower, depending on how comfortable you feel. And you're not going to jump off the box. You're just going to take a step off and you're going to control your descent to the ground, right? You're only going to go down about a quarter squat. Okay. Cool. And then I would move into drop jumps. So from that, you're going to do that depth drop and then you're going to hop up in the air as high mm-hmm. as you can. And that's when we're going to move to the depth jump. So, so let me, let me yeah. ask you this with that. When mm-hmm. you're instructing that, is that the kind of jump where when folks hit the ground first off of that step, that they're really loading and trying to forcefully jump up in the air? Or is it the kind of thing with the pogos where you're having them get off the ground 
quickly. Yeah. So that's that amateurization phase that I was yeah. talking about earlier, how we want that as short as possible. So one cue I like to use with my athletes when I'm working with them is, you know, let's pretend there's a tack on the ground. And as soon as you hit the ground, you're coming right back up. Yeah. So you should be in contact with the ground as little time as possible. You've just touched the hot oven. Yeah. You get your hand That's off exactly it as quick yeah. as possible. It's mm-hmm. just reflexive. Yep. Yeah. And I love that we've gotten into this already because so many of us have an initial impression of plyometric box jumps about going up to yeah. the box mm-hmm. rather than down from the box. And you've already stated the you put it number two on your list, the tremendous value of dropping off yes. the box rather than up. We see these videos like the NFL scouting combine <laughs> happened last week and you see like a 350 pound man jumping up onto a box yeah. that's like 40 some inches yeah, high yeah. and it's breathtaking, right? But it's not developing quite yeah. the same skill. I really don't care that you can get your knees up to your chin. Yeah. I want to see how reflexive your muscles are. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. Number three? Yeah, so this is where I kind of put we move into our single leg um, okay. activities. Again, this is something I wouldn't start with. When I have my clients come to me, I usually don't focus on it too much unless they're a little bit higher level. But running is single leg. Yeah. So this is your hopping and your bounding. Hopping would be staying on one foot. And then bounding would be go from, from say, your right to your left. Bounding is going to be a lot more intense than hopping is. So if you are going to start working in some single leg plyometrics, I would start with hopping. This is a really interesting point here to interject. The use of plyometrics in this sense is in no way new in the running world. No. This takes me to the Lydiard bounding, hill bounding, that he put into schedules regularly 60 years ago mm-hmm. or more, in which we laid a great base phase of high mileage aerobic work, and then the bounding became a bridge between the base phase and a faster speed-oriented competitive phase. In the Lydiard model, you can find this in texts to see what a bounding circuit looked like for for Lydiard when you potentially get to this point using the stuff that you're talking about, Christina. Mm -hmm. They would use an uphill bound. Then he would do a long jog, several minutes on the flats at the top, jogging easy. And then a fast but controlled back downhill. This The stride was somewhat choppy uh, to, to stay controlled on the downhill. And then a recovery jog at the bottom and repeat the, the set up. Also, when you're talking about hops and bounds, we are also using variations of drills we'll often put into warm-ups before yep. harder sessions or races. Yep. Things like A-skips and uh, skipping for mm-hmm. height and those. Yep. But in, in their essence, like an A-skip is about creating force back into the ground and yeah. being snappy. Mm-hmm. And in that way, it's an activity that mirrors the skills right, you're talking about. Right? Yeah. And, and ultimately, your drills are going to get more effective as you actually take time to practice your plyometrics. Yeah. And then, of course, that in turn will turn into your form. So plyometrics really lay a nice base yeah. for that area of training. Great. So talk about kind of how we dose them. Because I know that yeah. this, this introducing a new training stimulus to runners can sometimes throw a curveball from an injury perspective. So right. how do you approach, like, how much they do, mm-hmm. when when we should do them? Basically, how do we dose them? Yeah. So just like with our runners, the most common way to count your, like, volume that you're doing for the week is just counting your miles. With your plyometrics, you're going to count your foot contacts. Yes. So for beginners, I'm going to recommend somewhere between 30 and 50 foot contacts and performing this about twice a week. Okay. So you okay. can pick 
two to three exercises. You're going to do two to four sets of these, and you're going to do four to six reps in each set. So maybe first session I have someone out there, I'm probably going to only have them do pogos and depth drops. Mm-hmm. We're going to see how that goes. And then maybe the next session we're going to work on pogos and drop jumps. And then we'll work on pogos and depth jumps. And then I might work on that for a while, making that very efficient. And then we might start adding in some single leg work. So then we get to like more of an intermediate level. We can go up to about 50 to 100 foot contacts two to three times a week. And then our advanced, which is going to be about 100 foot contacts three times a week. And when I say advanced, I don't just mean what you feel like your skill level as a runner is. just going to say, you nailed it. Good. Yeah. I mean advanced experience in plyometrics. I'm talking like year and a half um, have been working on them. You're ready to do 100 plus. So we use this in running, in Mm -hmm. prescribing training, considering running age, not age age. Right. Uh, There could be the senior in college who just walked onto the team and was a soccer player and is a really good runner, but doesn't have a base of mileage. There could also be a senior on that same team that has run competitively since she was in the fifth grade and is now at 10 years Mm -hmm. of running age experience yeah yeah. so that's a critical point because you could be super fast that doesn't mean you're advanced right and want to go do 100 plus contacts yeah yeah Yeah. i mean pure experience with plyometrics really getting down to the nitty-gritty with those and the the biggest thing here that i want to stress with our dosage here is rest (laughs) yeah so our runners you know we we don't feel like we're working until our muscles are burning and our lungs lungs are burning right then we're like, okay, now we can take a rest. Yeah, yeah. You're probably not going to feel fatigued from doing five jumps. Yeah, yeah. But this is more of a neurological fatigue. We're working the neurological system, so you really have to let your body recover. I, th- yeah. I think that's a fantastic point because so much of like what we do in the weight room when we're training it is is to get fatigued, and we don't feel like it's effective until we're tired. Whereas like with this stuff, like there's so much, it's brain training to a degree. Mm-hmm. But that we don't sense that fatigue to the degree or in the same way that we do yeah. in the muscles or in our cardiovascular system. So I, I think that point on rest is mm-hmm. huge and not you know, overdosing the volume. Yeah. Depending on how intense it is, I would make your rest between sets, between 90 seconds and even three minutes if yeah. it's a really intense activity. It makes me think of another set of skills within running that are mm-hmm. very neurological that we've talked about here before that maybe this will translate for the listener well. This is what happens when we do strides. You don't leave them with cardiovascular fatigue. Uh, Short hill sprints, eight, 10 second hill sprints, I'll often do two minutes of recovery. You are more than ready Mm -hmm. to go. And then even for sprinters, when they do things like flying 30s or accelerations, Mm -hmm. there are long rest bouts and the rest is what creates the success of the activity. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is a fantastic point. So a two-part question for you. Yeah. To build off of that, one, how do these... Actually, you know what, Christina? It's going to be a three-part question. I I just created another part in my brain. All right? Yes. So A... You are neurologically fresh. I am. There's no question. (laughs) How do these complement or replace Mm -hmm. and or maybe what we are doing in the weight room with traditional strength that we've discussed here before and i'm sure a lot of our audience is doing Mm -hmm. yeah so this is doesn't necessarily need to replace anything 
that's given you have enough time to to complete everything, yep. right? So what you are going to see is more, and this might be where your rest part of your question is going, season dependent. Yeah. Right? So it's going to take up a lot more of your training later on in the season when we're getting closer to competition because you're not going quite as intense with your strength training. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. And this fits very well into a power emphasis. So now you've created two more sub-questions. Excellent. I love so it. So I'm going to go to 1B okay. first. Yes. What I will often prescribe with strength work late mm-hmm. in a season is a movement away from heavier lifts yeah. towards faster lifts. Mm-hmm. So for example, if someone deadlifts, we might now go to a speed deadlift where the, it's about the motion of moving the yep. bar through the range as quick as possible, right? Mm-hmm. Is there a similar transition occurring within your prescription of these activities? Or do they look the same late in a season? We're just dosing them differently? Yeah. So, so yes and no. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I like to do, <laughs> I like to do plyometrics throughout the year, given it's not like your like post-competition off season, if that's how you're phasing your running, right? So early on, I'm going to be doing more basics. I'm going to be really focusing on these depth drops, making sure you're okay with like um, absorbing the the load and working into drop jumps and then going to depth jumps. So it's going to be more intense, yes, as yeah. you get closer to race season, but they're also going to take up a longer part of your workout. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So I don't think there's a specific time of year that we need to be doing plyometrics. I say do them all the time because you're going to increase your training age. That's when you're going to get more experience and work your way up to more of an advanced level with it. Become more efficient. Now, 1C. Yes. You mentioned an important point about given that you have the time, you add these rather than replace these. Mm -hmm. Let's say you are on a schedule where you have 90 minutes. Okay. You have a 60-minute run for that day. You Mm -hmm. have 30 minutes that you want to get some sort of strength work in. And you're, you're trying to think about how can I choose that or choose getting X number of contacts here. And if we're just squeezed in this hypothetical and I have to replace something, what might you sub out to put some of these plyometric activities in? Okay, that's a good question. So one You said that as if you're shocked. (laughs) (laughs) No, not shocked. Okay. So it's going to be one part. I have two parts to your question. Please, yes. No, I'm I'm just lost. It's going to be... Phil has left the studio. (laughs) (laughs) so it's going to be similar to what i was talking about like if that's your time crunch that you have earlier on while you're building up mileage you're not going to replace a whole lot i just want you to get a couple depth drops and continue the rest of your strength training so you're looking at maybe reducing these contact numbers and just introducing Mm -hmm. it a little bit as the best way to just like touching on it yes touching on it so as, as you get more into an intense phase of your strength training yeah it's not new to you right so a little bit of this still has value Mm -hmm. Yes. Particularly as an introduction. Yes. Okay. Yes. Great. And then as we get a little bit more to a more intense part, then yeah, we probably will have to start replacing some of the stuff you're doing in your strength training. I'm a big fan of strength training, right? So I advocate that with my runners all the time. I will advocate with that with them until the day I die, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't want to take away from any of your big component lifts. But some of some of your accessory work I might push to the side for the time being. Assuming you've been diligent with them mm-hmm. up to this point and add in some more plyometrics. Okay. That's great. So, building off of that, yeah, mm-hmm. please. 
with introducing plyometrics, because I know there's a couple schools of thoughts. Yes, there are. Is there a physical property you feel like somebody has to develop first before you introduce plyometrics? Or is this the kind of thing where you know, your average hobby runner comes in and you're working with them and we're introducing mm-hmm. plyometrics off the bat? Or do you want them to build up to, you know, you need to be able to do yeah. X, Y, Z before you yeah, before so, we talk about this. So that is another school of thought yeah. that I don't 100% lay in. Yeah. Like I, again, I think it's really important our runners are developing strength, but I would much rather modify the plyometric exercise that I'm doing to make it something they're able to do so yeah. that they can have that adaptation. If we're talking about your depth dropping off of a six inch step, okay, yeah, that's cool. I know you can tolerate that and we're still working on a little bit of those concepts to introduce it. You actually did unwrap several of the questions that I was going to get to there. So <laughs> I figured uh, th- that's fantastic. The last piece, the single leg, double leg debate. Yes. Not so much debate, but just discussion. Yeah. Here. I value single leg exercises mm-hmm. within a strength program. Yes, absolutely. I also see your point and do agree that we need to have technique mastered mm-hmm. on two legs, much like you're saying with, right. with plyometrics. Do you, in using strength protocols, try to take people along a similar line of progression if, say, we're talking about single leg deadlifts, mm-hmm. uh, Bulgarian split squats, exercises like this, do you prefer that they go through a progression in the weight room where we've really mastered other stuff first? Uh-huh. Or do you introduce it, perhaps this is the best way to ask, more quickly in a weight room setting than you do in a plyometric setting? Or is that similar to you? So I definitely introduce it more quickly in the weight room setting. Okay, okay. So right. we're on the same page there. Yeah. That makes sense. Great. Yeah, And that's, and that's one reason that I'm okay with keeping my plyometrics more double leg because I'm also assuming and hoping you're doing a lot of single leg strength work to work on those compensations. That's a great point. Well, I think as well, like with what you talked about with what we're training, like Mm -hmm. the double leg allows us to really focus on developing that, that elasticity, that stiffness, that springiness component that if we're unstable on one leg, we may not really be effectively developing. Right. Whereas we can use the single leg, whether it's the jumps, whether it's the strength work to work on technique or form but if we're unstable, we aren't truly developing that full elasticity like we can if we're on, on two feet. That's exactly it. Yeah, That's exactly it, you know it. What? This reminds me of, again, I'm trying to just keep creating running analogies for the person that this is really yeah. new to. The discussion we had a few weeks ago, Phil, about some of your long runs under your previous coach. <laughs> we should talk about him. That guy. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing. <laughs> Wacko. <laughs> The run I did this past weekend where I progressed, this topic of putting quality and progression late in a long run, like closing at half marathon pace versus first doing that earlier in a long run, we we develop a skill and ability earlier in a long run while we're fresh. And then we've mastered that before we go to putting it at the end and actually trying to sharpen it. Mm -hmm. And it seems like y'all are both hitting on that same progression here for plyometric activity as well. Absolutely. Cool. To quickly review what we just said, if I have a few minutes, a few times a week, and I'm starting to work this stuff in Mm -hmm. as an average runner, I have a few activities like pogos, some depth drops, and then Mm -hmm. jumps. And then progressing from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, progressing from there. And 
any written resource, like any kind of text, journal article, any kind of stuff like that that you would recommend sharing that yeah. maybe gives good descriptions for folks who want to yeah, a read really good, more? A really good resource that I recommended before, there's a book called Strength and Conditioning for Runners, and they, they lay things out yeah, it's a fantastic really resource. well. Okay. Yeah, and I, yeah, they don't make it too complex, but it's very educational. Okay, great. Yeah. Uh, you want to go ahead? You had a question yeah, about so, uh, injury rehab. So talk about how, you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about per- from the performance end of yeah. things, but how do we incorporate these from a, like an injury rehab perspective? Right. So there's a few different routes I'd like to like kind of go this way. So Please. the first one is my thoughts and consensus that I've seen treating some runners in the area is that the main common theme that I'm seeing right now is people jumping into too much too soon, mm-hmm. right? So we kind of touched on when you should be adding plyometrics in. My warning to people right now is if you are pre-competition or you are about to have a race, don't worry about adding these in right now. Yeah. Your body's under a lot of stress. Yeah. So that's one thing I really want to warn people about. It's not that these are crazy taxing or anything. Let's just... Finish out the season how you're doing. You're doing good so far. And then when we yeah. go back up, let's do it in a smart way. And right? it's about total stress too, yes, right? So there absolutely. could be other things. Yeah. Like yeah. This is part of the, the equation of why I didn't go mm-hmm. run the 15K. Yeah. There's stuff at work yet, but also on the side, I'm painting Dean's mom's house yeah. after hours, nice. yeah. right? So it's just another thing where I know there's stress on my body and there's right. less sleep. Yeah. Don't pick up a new lawn project 10 days before your target marathon. Right. It's the same yeah. principle. I describe it to my patients as your, your body is a bucket. And every time that you add something new to your to your plate, you're scooping some sand into your bucket. I wanted you to scoop ice cream. I saw the scooper a- come out, <laughs> and I started thinking you were going to say ice cream. I don't know if you saw There was a little bit of drool that I had there. I, was, she, I, I thought it. she's going to say mint chocolate chip. Right now she's going to say it. And you didn't. So you let it. me down, it. Christina. Right. <laughs> So I'm not inviting you back. <laughs> so there, so we don't want to make plyometric a scoop of sand that we're putting in our bucket. You right? did it again. You can make a scoop of ice cream. Next time. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But ice cream is a good thing, right? Sand in our buckets. Not, okay. Know, it's that's that's fair. That's yeah. fair. I'll, yeah. The doctors win again. <laughs> <laughs> but then otherwise with injuries, this is something I see a lot with chronic tendon injuries, especially with our athletes. They maybe they go through a course of rehab or they've taken some time off and things are going better and they just end up with the same condition again, it feels like. And it's very frustrating for them. And ultimately, I find it really effective to work on some tendon stiffness. So that's where I kind of put that in. And um, it's definitely a late stage rehab process, typically. When I'm sitting down with my patients, I want to sit down and find out their goals. I don't want to just get them pain free. So I sit down with them and I write out a roadmap. We are at point A. We are in pain and we are limited. We want to get to point B, which is you running this 10K. So we might get halfway along that roadmap, that roadmap, and that's where we stop having pain. But I'm not done with my patient at that point. At that point, I'm adding in more strength, more education on loading. I'm adding in plyometrics and I'm increasing the intensity of their activity until they're ready to get to that race. So it's definitely a later stage thing, but it's really crucial in helping my patients meet their goals and not just end up back in that same course of rehab. I think that's a huge point with tendon issues, particularly mm-hmm. as it relates to runners, because we, we, like you said, we get to a point where it's pain-free and it's like, okay, great, I'll get back to my training and go back to what I was doing before. 
the tendons are an elastic structure, which means we need to train that, that elasticity. And we don't necessarily get there with just going on our usual easy paced runs that we run at the same pace every day. We need to add different stimuli or stimulus. Right. And plyometrics are one way to really train that elasticity to those tendons mm-hmm. to help get that last phase of, of recovery. Christina, anything else you would like to add that you think could be helpful in the process of adding this in and and making a more complete runner for the audience? One thing with timing. So this is really neurologically fatiguing. So It's like sitting with us for an hour and a half and answering these questions. I'm fatigued. I mean, you have to be exhausted. I'm sorry. (laughs) So this is something that probably isn't going to drain you if you do it before a workout, right? But it's not something I would probably want to do the day before a workout Ah. because it's really common to feel neurologically fatigued before. And when you head into a workout or a race, you want to feel neurologically fresh, right? So that would be one of my kind of precautions when I tell people to start adding these in. So this is a great point. I'll dig into just a little bit more here before we go. One, in that way, it's different than some of the neurological work we do in running where Mm -hmm. strides, for example, Mm -hmm. can be a priming mechanism the day before that actually can create muscle tension. It's a good factor coming into a harder session the following day. Strides are a lot more specific. That's right, Right. because it is run-oriented, right? Mm -hmm. It it is setting you up for the very activity that you're planning to do. So to that point, I'm going to throw at you just a quick hypothetical week. Uh, Let's say I have my hardest sessions on a Tuesday and a Saturday. Okay. And we're going to assume that around that, I'm largely doing easy running. Okay. When might be the best time for the average person, I'm sure this varies individually, that you start working with someone in the course of that week? Are we doing like Thursday where we're putting this in kind of in the middle and we have recovery on either side? What often sets up well? Yeah. So I would say it very much depends. Yeah, sure. (laughs) There's a few options there. If you're, you said our hardest days are Tuesdays and Saturdays. Sure, yeah. Right? I would simply stay away from a Monday and a Friday. And then otherwise, it's going to depend on what some of your other training goals are If and when you're strength training. So well, I to like, that point, yeah. do, do you see, like, we've talked a lot about, in particular with body weight, mm-hmm. general strength stuff, having a recovery adaptation along with it. Mm-hmm. It can help the recovery stimulus, the hormone release mm-hmm. the day after a yeah. hard session. Do we see any of that with plyometrics? You know, I'm not aware of that particularly, okay, but I good. would be a little worried about the neurological fatigue from your workout. Yeah, so you have the tail going the opposite direction yes. now from the workout. Yes. So in this thought, then maybe if I had a session on Tuesday that was difficult mm-hmm. on the track, right? and then Wednesday I did some body weight, just light stuff, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a, a lot of it's upper body, let's even say, yeah. push-ups and pull-ups, stuff like that. Then perhaps Thursday could be a, a time I to try an, this. It would be an ideal day. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I stay away from Friday by doing that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And if if your week's really crammed, it is something you can try throwing in right before your workout. You know, it's not giving that time like that you're going to feel flat as if it was the day before. But if you're about to hop on the track and you want to try a couple plyos because your week's really crammed. I think that's a real possibility. Yeah. And so that comes back to proper sequencing within a session Mm -hmm. because we want to think about what our priority is for the day. Right. And then we want to think of, uh, it's almost like order of operations from high school Mm -hmm. math class. Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. 
Yeah. But for strength training. Parentheses, <laughs> exponent, <laughs> multiplication, division, etc. Right? Yes. But for strength training for running, yes. we don't set up a session for a distance runner to do a bunch of reps at 10k pace at the, at the front end mm-hmm. and then try to work on pure speed while totally fatigued yeah. an hour Absolutely. and a half in into our, our this larger session and so we have to think about that accordingly with plyometrics yeah. as well yes the body is under fatigue at certain points what are we emphasizing and are we putting it in an inappropriate order right yeah yep. Before we wrap up, this has been super valuable. I think there's probably more here that at some point down the road I'd like to hear more from you. But before we go, maybe you could quickly describe what you do at work and just what the options are for folks who have listened and think, uh, maybe I'm interested in learning more from you who are in the local audience here. Yeah, so I treat all athletes and active individuals and even individuals who aren't active. I'm really happy to help those people, but my passion is really treating runners. And that's where... I have the most fun with and I'm most interested, right? So we do a lot of in-depth evaluations with our runners, but even for those runners that aren't injured, we do running readiness assessments. And so what we look at is where some of your strength deficits may be. We get on a treadmill and how what we care about with form and when we care about it. Yeah, but oh, sure. That's a whole other yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other topic. Yeah. But we do kind of look at that and we give you based on what we see, here are some things that I think you need to strengthen for X, Y, and Z reason. Yeah. Right? Whether we want to change the form or not. That's a whole other conversation, like we said. Yeah. <laughs> but then we also look at our loading level assessment part of that, which is similar to plyometrics, we see where you are at that, and we give you a very precise prescription of what we think you should be working on. Always happy to answer training questions at that point, too. Sometimes I write out, like, a return to running program for people. Just a very basic, you know, this is what your progression should look like. Um, Give them some advice and troubleshooting if they're just like, for some reason, I'm just not able to get through this workout. Okay, well, here's some advice on what we can, how we can modify that. Um, we also do strength for runners classes every Monday at 6.30. It's open to the public. It's $15 at our clinic. You know, we have a lot of fun. Yeah. And we do incorporate these plyometrics in there. We add a little variety and then we go through a very a strength phase that I feel most of the people who attend can accomplish. And then we work into some more accessory work. Okay. That I think is important. And how can people contact you or can they follow you yeah, somewhere well, out on the internet? Yeah, Zone PT is on Instagram. Yeah, and of course you can it also is. visit <laughs> you can also I'm visit not, our website. <laughs> the rest of the world is. <laughs> yeah. You can also visit our website. So pretty pretty accessible. Okay. Well, Christina, this has been a lot of fun. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. This has been great. Great, yeah. Phil, a pleasure as always. As always. Great to have you, Christina. We will not see you on the 26th. We will be overseas spreading the knowledge. Yes, it's it's pretty much a different world. Christina and I and Dane from Run-In will have the new VW bus out at Hampton Station. The coffee will be hot. From Ryan at Due South, the treats will be on. Aubrey from Mizuno will be there. Hopefully some of you will come have a great hill workout with us. It'll be a whole lot of fun. So hope to see you 8 a.m. on the 26th of March at Due South Hampton Station location. And we have a whole bunch of fun Boston Marathon episodes coming up because I know that's the big goal for you, Phil. And having been there many a time, it is one of the great races in the world. And so I always get excited this time of year. Even if I'm not doing it this year, I can't wait to go back sometime soon. 
Maybe you and I are going to be going, Phil. Maybe that we should be the goal. Uh, you know what else? When I get in the Masters category here in a that's few years, that's when I'm excited <laughs> to go so I can maybe get a little competition in up there. But we have some pretty exciting guests lined up for y'all. One in particular, a legend yes. on the Boston Marathon course will be with us soon. So that is all for mile 110. We will see you next time on Seconds Flat. If you have questions about plyometrics, any of the other topics we discuss, secondsflatpodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Everybody have a great week, and we'll see you soon.